0: this week on red dirt america i talk with josh abbott he's been on the road for over a decade until the pandemic slowed things down for a lot of artists but josh used that time wisely we talk about how he used it and he lets us in on a little secret that nobody else knows about
1: of course you're the first person i've even told about that my my team's gonna be like hey why'd you let the kid out of the bag on that i pledge allegiance
0: pledge allegiance allegiance to Country music. Right I've been wanting to do this. You know, we did the one uh, with, with the group, but yeah. it, it, you and I haven't really just sat down one-on-one and had just a chance to talk and get to know each other. I mean, we've, we've seen each other in passing at shows and stuff, but we've never just really got to sit down one-on-one and get to know yeah. each other a little bit. We
1: we did the Panhandlers thing right before uh, COVID blew everything up.
0: yeah. And then that happened. And we probably
1: and brought COVID into your home.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think you brought COVID into my home because I didn't knows? get it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe maybe the conversion of the stars and and the panhandlers coming together and the Flatlanders putting out their first album in 12 years. Maybe that caused COVID.
1: Maybe. Yeah. That's a dynamic force. <laughs>
0: it's such that's a big force. So, so how you been, man?
1: Uh, I think great. I mean, obviously ups and downs, ebbs and flows of life. That's kind of mm-hmm. how it is, especially when you're an artist, I think, because you're so left brained and emotional, you know, so some days are the best ever and some days are you wonder if your career's over <laughs> it, it, <laughs> and that's pretty much every artist out there. But, um, overall, kind of riding a high right now, just because, uh, it feels like the last 18 months gave me a big breather, on touring a lot. And I got to be around for my, basically my son's first, you know, chapter of life. Pretty much every day I've been home.
0: That Uh, had to be awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was born in June of 2020. So being home 90 plus percent of the time, as opposed to 50% of the time, you know, that's a big difference and getting to be around for, you know, his first year. And of course my daughter, uh, and being home with my wife and just doing things like going grocery shopping and smoking meats on my Traeger and <laughs> writing songs and on trying to figure out how to write a song on Zoom with someone. I mean, it was just, it's been a fun 18 months, I guess, in its own way. But um, I'm, I'm just glad that it seems like we're back to touring. I know that this new variant and fear of you know the fear of everything that the media constantly pumps into us uh looks like it's going to shut down a few things probably this this fall and winter but um luckily enough for us that you know we tour Texas half the time anyway so um even if the rest of the country shuts down as long as Texas stays open we're one of the you know we're just lucky to be in a genre that'll be able to survive so yeah um yeah man just uh, excited to get to touring again playing new shows uh, putting new music out over the next year, and it's gonna be exciting.
0: Well, you you just put out in August uh, the new album, the the Highway Kind.
1: Uh, well, yeah, the Highway Kind man is. Uh, I think it's the best album we've ever put out. I mean, yeah. I just people can disagree with that, and it's an you know it's an honor to have people disagree with which album is their favorite. Um, that's a good problem to have. But to me, this album is right there with our front row seat album. Pound for pound, song for song, every single one of them is top notch. And that's what I thought, uh, when we put the record out and so far, fan response has been awesome. Um, some of the new stuff has streamed really well, which you always worry about as an artist and are nowadays anyway. Yeah. And especially as an artist who's been around for a little bit, right? Like the, 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 the age old concept of familiarity breeds contempt. Um,
0: it, but it also the breeds success around, the
1: harder it does but the longer you're around the harder it is to be
0: relevant that you is, know what
1: i mean yeah. when you're the when you're the young band that's really starting to catch a buzz and you've got like two albums out and every college kid in the state wants to come see you when you're in town and every media outlet wants to interview you and it's just a, such a high ride and um, when that ride levels out a little bit you go oh wait well how do we get that back and what's funny is 10 years ago when we were starting to blow up uh pat green's the one who told me that he was like hey man enjoy these next few years this ride because when it's over it's gonna be a lot of memories that you wish you could do over again and i at the time didn't really understand what he meant because here i am thinking like pat green's a freaking legend you know right to my opinion he's one of the all-time goats of Texas country music. And I don't even think it can be argued. Um, But I totally get what he meant now, you know, in terms of, you know, you get a little older and you put out your seventh album and all of a sudden, you know, you're not the new guy in his late twenties, early thirties. You're the guy that turns 40 And you've got to figure out how to stay relevant in a world that has a lot of music to consume and digest. I feel like I'm talking way too much.
0: No, talk, talk. I I love this uh because this is what I'm talking about, getting to know each other, right? Uh, Because when you started back then, um, you know, people, you know, as you were talking about, you were blowing up about 10 years ago. and, And people were saying, Josh Abbott is the next Randy Rogers. And I had to have put like a lot of pressure on you. Cause that was right about the time because Randy was right after Pat, you know, and he he yeah. he blew up and he got that uh, that Mercury uh out you know, the the Mercury record deal uh with roller coaster and was blowing up and then, you know, the same kind of thing, you know, they they kind of cycled through it. You know, they were big and they were shiny and new. And then just like Pat said to you, enjoy those times because that tarnish wears off after a while.
1: It does. And it just does. So, I mean, if you look at the scene right now, guys that are starting to experience that high, you know, obviously Parker McCollum and co Wetzel, um, flatland Calvary, um, guys like Colby Cooper and maybe Randall King. These are all names of guys that are really just now entering that peak of their career, you know, that rising point of their career. And it's an exciting time. So I, when I'm with those guys, I try to big brother them and tell them like, Hey man, you enjoy every bit of this and be smarter than I was about it. Like record it, bring a videographer out and record a bunch of this because man, when you're, when you're in your forties or fifties and I'm not that old, obviously yet, but when you, not, the, not, not the <laughs> well, thanks, thanks
0: a lot, man. Not that, not, the,
1: <laughs> <laughs> not that that's old. I just mean, you know, when you're not the young guy in your twenties and early thirties, when you're the guy in your forties, fifties and older, you're gonna you're gonna like love having that video content of being able to like look at that one tour you did and laugh about your drummer, the things he did at, at the time. And I don't know, man, it just uh, I don't know how I'm even rambling now, but uh, like I said, the new album is out. Um, people have responded really well to it. That's been a relief. I feel like it validated my personal feelings on how good the album was. Yeah. Um, and uh, and now we just keep rolling forward, right? Like, we got shows to play, and I've got new music to put out. I'm going to crank out uh, an EP in November, uh, and then I'm going to crank out an EP every two months, basically starting in November. Um, so it'll be November, January, March, June, uh, May, and july wow uh, so we'll we'll be cranking out five eps over the next uh i don't know year
0: so the, does that come from from all these months of of inactivity and all this this chance to write and be creative
1: <laughs> yeah a little bit uh you know what's well what's actually funny about the writing part uh, I, I didn't write any of these songs that we're going to put out in the future. Now, obviously on the highway count, I wrote most of it. There's a few songs I didn't get. um, but these projects that I'm talking about, um, we got a, I'm gonna, I did a Christmas album. A really? Christmas EP, yeah. A little Christmas EP. And of course you're the first person I've even told about that. My, my team's going to be like, Hey, why'd you let the kid out of the bag on that? But, um, we recorded a little Christmas EP and it's, I basically recorded songs that that were meant for my family. Right. So I recorded an old Dean Martin song for my mother-in-law. I recorded my wife's favorite Christmas song, my mom's favorite Christmas song, um, and then I even found a couple originals that hadn't been released yet, written by some guys I know in Nashville, and they're so good. And um, they said I could record them. So wow. Yeah, recorded a little Christmas record. And then the other stuff that we'll start cranking out next year, January through July, is a little project I called Josh Abbott and Friends. And uh, it's um, a bunch of it's 14 cover songs, mostly from the Texas country scene over the last 30 years. And um, each song has a special guests that appear on the song. So I did a song with Coette, so I did a song with Plow and Calvary. I did a song with Randy and Wade. Um, I did songs with, I did a song with Donahue and Aaron Watson. I did a bunch of stuff. so wow, it'll be a lot of it'll be a lot of fun to just crank out and have
0: fun with it. You do. A, you, you have a lot of friends and, and you had friends, as you said, you were talking about Pat Green helping you along the way. And you, you mentioned something when you were talking uh, about the fact that whenever you see one of these young guys, you try to uh, try to mentor him a little bit. Be, be like that, that, uh, that guy that Pat was to you. What is it about this scene that you love because so many, so many people try to strive for that Nashville scene, but right now Nashville, in my opinion, is putting out crap. Texas is putting out some of the best music I've heard in years right now. So what is it about this scene in particular that you just love so much?
1: Well, um, you know, I mean, first of all, let me say, I do think there's some quality stuff coming out of Nashville. And so I don't, want to be that guy that people are like, I don't want people to think that I'm just dogging on Nashville because I'm not. There's a lot of talent people out there and I love a, a lot of the music that's come out of there actually recently, like Morgan Wallen and Riley Green, Miranda Lambert's one of my favorite artists ever. Uh, I could go on and on, um, but there's a lot of really good bands out there. Well,
0: and let me, uh, let me, let me, let me clarify what I, what I mean by that though. A lot of it is, is pop country. Um, Te- Texas is putting out a lot more traditional style country. A lot of what Nashville has been putting out and not the, some, so much the artists that you've mentioned, but there's a lot of artists out there that do like the rap beats and, you know, uh, the click tracks and, and stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. It's t- it, some of it's too poppy for for a real country.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of tracks in music. Um you know, even live, I don't want to name any names, but we've recently played some shows with some guys that are more based out of the Nashville scene. And uh, when you hear their band live, you're like, man, it sounds like there's like 10 guys up there and there's only four. And it's because they're they're playing tracks from the record um, while they're playing live. Right. And so to me, that always feels a little cheap. And to each their own, you know, everybody performs and, um, entertains the way that they see fit. So who am I to judge, but it's just not my style. Um, but getting back to what you're saying about the Texas scene, yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of talented guys. I've already mentioned a few of them and, you know, there's some really talented women in Texas country and, uh, girls that are from Texas that have now moved to Nashville to kind of find a different avenue of success. And so, um, you know, I think it's it's a really good time to to review, you know, our product per se as as a Texas genre. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think one of the best examples uh, of Texas music to come out of Nashville, actually, and you mentioned Miranda Lambert, uh, was the uh, the Marfa tapes that she, Jack Ingram, and John Randall did because it it showed the process. Of a songwriter, I think, and because that to me epitomizes what Texas It, it epitomizes uh, Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt and Billy Joe Shaver, guys like that. The way that they did that album, and you listen to it, and you hear all the all the mistakes, all the clicks, the the yes. the, the planes, the trains, the automobiles. You hear all of that, and completely it really, agree. It, it completely epitomizes the way we do things in Texas.
1: Completely agree. I think that that project that Miranda did. Uh, you know, and obviously she did that with Jack and John, but it wouldn't have had the success, um, and the credibility without her name on it and without her being a part of it. I mean, she's a massive superstar, so that's just kind of natural, uh, that she's kind of the focal point of the group, but I, I hope that they win Grammys for that. I hope that they win a lot of awards over the next year for that record because, you know, they definitely approached it from a lens of honesty and, and um, authenticity. You know, they wrote all the songs together and they just recorded them acoustic and let the, let the West Texas night sky fill in the background. And, um, I love that project.
0: I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it's, well, when you mentioned Miranda, it just popped into my head. Um, you know, and speaking of West Texas, you recorded this one out in West Texas uh, at the Sonic Ranch, the famed mm-hmm. Sonic Ranch in El Paso. You worked with uh, Marshall Altman, uh, who if, yep. if folks out there listening don't understand, uh, he, he recorded Mark Broussard, Frankie Ballard, Aaron Watson, Josh Abbott. You know, this, this guy has done some really good, great albums in my opinion.
1: He's recorded some killer music. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive he's the one who discovered Katy Perry as well, because before he became a producer, he was a, he was a an A&R guy or whatever you want to call it for a, a label. And his job was to find talent. And he did that. He's found <laughs> a lot of talent over the years and has just a great ear for music and is a really great singer himself to be honest, but he's a producer and we were lucky enough to get him to agree to record our album. And now we've become really good friends. In fact, the Christmas EP that I've got coming out this November, um, he produced it for me as well. So uh, I think we have a really good kind of connection and he's uh, he's awesome.
0: Sometimes artists find that producers will push them a little bit harder and, and get things out of them that they didn't normally get out themselves. Did, did uh, Marshall do that for you?
1: For sure. You know, I mean, when we're in the studio, I have a tendency at times to be headstrong and, you know, there's moments where the producer's got to step in and go, man, I I think you're wrong. And it takes a lot of balls to say that to the, to the lead guy. And so um, Marshall has no problem doing that. (laughs) And, And I had no problem doing that to him. Like we had a really good relationship to where, You know, we're in the studio, you know, we would talk through ideas and basically every single time he wanted to try something or I wanted to try something, um, we would just try it right and let it speak for itself. And it sounded great. It sounded great. And if it didn't, it didn't. So we both won some and lost some in that process. And, you know, he was really uh, patient with me, working with me on my vocals for the record, because I uh, had just had some technique issues over the last few years that have really almost psychologically and mentally really handicapped me on my vocal abilities. Um, just kind of worried if I could like bring it a hundred percent when I step on the mic and he's been really great about working with me through it and figuring out what kind of mix I need and, um, where, where the EQ settings need to be in order to get me to sing my best. And he's really changed my, Ability to sing. I think Uh, I've had some friends recently tell me they think I'm singing better now than I ever have in my career, which whether or not that's true, true, it's definitely a compliment I'll take because for a while I was pretty worried about that side.
0: Well, I, I think we grow with, with every project that we do. And, and I, I would agree that I think this is probably one of your finest projects from everything that I've heard off of it so far. Um, Real Damn Good is is just such a killer song. I love that song. and, and Thank you. Uh, the station that I'm at, we're playing the hell out of that song right now.
1: I appreciate it, man. I really do. I, I wrote that song about my wife. Um, there's a few lines in there that aren't true. Uh, because we just took the liberty to kind of create lines in the writing room, but um, but most of that song is is literally my wife. And I think any time you can write a song from you know that place of, hey, this is real. Um, something about that always kind of is transparent. I don't know something about that always is magnetizing. I think to people. And so that song's a lot of fun. In fact, some of my favorite lyrics come from that song and ironically you're you're gonna love this one of the go one of the co-writers on that song is nico moon really is yes which he's probably one of the rising talents in the mainstream nashville world and his music is definitely a lot poppier and different than mine and uh but he and i got together and wrote that song and i just Man, it's just fun to tell that story because you just never know what someone can write. You know, you never want to put them in a box and say they're only this kind of writer. Right. You know, because people that are talented will find a way to, you know, invoke their talent, however it is the medium that, you know, that's at their hands.
0: Well, it's it's a great song, and I think one of the reasons I like it so much is I think it's relatable. If you if you've got a wife and you love your wife the way that you obviously love yours, and you, and you feel about yours, you know, um, my wife is real damn good about not giving a damn too. She's she's third generation Czech, you know, uh, born in the U.S. and and she's got that Czech attitude. And man, she checks my attitude quite a bit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, some women just don't mind being late to everything as long as they look good when they get there. That's my wife's philosophy anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, she wears turquoise, uh, when she goes out and she's, you know, when we're playing a real big show, like Billy Bob's or something, um, there's a lot of lines in that song that I really love. So I appreciate you pointing that one out.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a great song. I absolutely love it. Speaking of songwriting, you uh, you do some of those uh, songwriting get-togethers, too, with some of the other guys in the scene. What do you love about being able to do that kind of stuff?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's the camaraderie. I think getting together with the guys that do the same thing that I do. Uh, there's kind of a bond in that. We don't necessarily have to hang out all the time or be the best of friends. But, you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're playing the same venues and festivals with the same fans and we're gone, you know, the same days of the week. And we all have the same, you know, obstacles uh, um, and, and other things. And so it's uh, it's fun to just kind of get together with guys in our scene and, And just write with them. You know, you might write something that you love and put out. and You might write something that sucks. But in that process of hanging out and writing together, I think you can really build the camaraderie of what we do. And I think that's important. I think fans love that. I remember when I was a fan. I mean, I still am a fan. But when (laughs) I was in college, when I was in college and I was a fan and I wasn't someone who had a band or anything, I remember looking at album credits, every album I got. And I would look at who they wrote the songs with or if they wrote the songs. And I remember being so excited when I saw that a song on Randy Rogers record was written with Wade Bowen,
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and that's just one example. But I always loved that part of it. I always thought that was so cool that these guys who do different things could get together and write a song. And uh, so I guess maybe that was just kind of an early indicator that that was something I valued and. Subconsciously, I guess, when I started getting into this and started finding a little success, I guess I naturally just kind of gravitated towards, you know, calling these guys and texting them and really increasing the bond uh, between all of us and writing.
0: Yeah. And, and you, well, even, uh, even having other guests uh, sing on albums too. I mean, Pat Green sang on one of your earlier albums uh, and, and you guys teamed up that way. You talked about him being a mentor. I know he's come up in the interview several times, but. Having that uh, it kind of when you did that song uh, all those years ago, it reminded me of when Pat and Corey would get together uh, and they did that album, Songs We Wish We'd Written.
1: Exactly. And that was kind of what I was going for in that song. When I wrote my Texas, I wrote it from that vein. I wrote it as a song that I wanted to sonically sound like something Pat and Corey would have done in the late 90s, and, um, that, which is why I name dropped both of them in that song. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Pat and I had a lot of fun with that. It's still honestly one of our most popular songs now. Um, and anytime Pat and I play a show together and he comes out on stage to sing his verse, people just lose it. They love it. Uh, and he and I have actually kind of had some text conversations recently about maybe we ought to do like a sequel or maybe we ought to write, maybe we ought to write another, like, like write a song together and put it out because, you know, that song did really well.
0: Yeah, it did. It did fantastic. And maybe, you know, maybe the panhandlers will uh, do another fun song like that. Cause you did get together with a group of guys that you both wrote with and love to sing with. And- yeah. Well, we've,
1: we got together in uh, June or July and um, wrote a bunch of songs and we're getting together again in October and we're writing a bunch of songs And then we're going to take all of those songs and we're going to record a new album sometime, sometime December, January time frame. So probably looking at a Panhandlers release, I would think late summer next year.
0: That would be wow. awesome, man, because the first album yeah. was great. And, and as you said earlier, uh, when we first started talking, you guys did this great album. And then here comes the pandemic and you, you couldn't really go out and, and tour and support that album.
1: It really it really hurt the record. I Me, mean, it truly did, because with the brand new concept and a brand new sound and band and we it was hard to find tour dates um, because we all four have our own things going. So the fact that we had a bunch of stuff, I mean, we were headlining night one of Larry Joe Taylor Festival. We were on Will Green's, uh, William Clark Green, I should say. He hates when I call him Will. Um,
0: (laughs) That's okay. uh, That's just between you and I. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go. Uh, Whenever we play, we, we were scheduled to play Will's Cotton Fest out in Lubbock. And of course, it's been so long now, I don't even remember all the shows we have, but we had probably 12 shows over the course of three months where we were going to be able to like play all across Texas and Oklahoma and really promote that record. And it got yanked, you know, the rug got yanked from under our feet and we didn't get to tour on it. And, and I think that really impacted the record in terms of the amount of ears that got on it. But I will say this, I bet you of all the ears that did get on it, 98% 98% of them loved it. Oh. I mean, the the feedback we've had from doing that record has been so incredible. Like, people who don't even love, like, my music have been like, I love that record. And I think of that as a compliment. You know, that was the whole point. We wanted to do something different. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to take that same, like, mentality and approach and record another album in the next, I don't know, four months and and then we'll see what happens with it. Obviously, we'll do a big tour. So that, I think that's the exciting part is going, hey, let's record another record. And then when we start touring, it'll basically be like we're touring on two albums because. No one got to see us play the first one. Yeah, I, you know, we've only played one public show.
0: I know. I, I was so excited because I mean, you guys came to the house. We did the interview, and and if you remember, I I loved the album. And, yeah, I and do we, remember, and I appreciate it. We talked about it, and 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 all you guys played, and and you know, and, and we 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 did some songs here in the studio at my house, and you guys were so excited about it. I could tell you were pumped, and then that whole thing just came crashing down. And it was like, man, this really sucks because I knew how excited you guys were about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were genuinely, and we still are. I think we're all still very excited about the record. So um, we've got some really good songs um, between all of us, and there's a couple of songs that have been pitched to us that I think are worth recording. So don't be surprised if we come out with a, just a badass sophomore record and start touring a little bit more as the panhandlers and try to grow that brand. Um, as something that kind of complements, you know, what, what we do full time. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're all always
1: going to be, we're all always going to be committed to our own individual projects, but we're, we've all talked about the, you know, we just have to carve out time. Um, once the next record comes out to touring,
0: yeah, absolutely. To really get out
1: there and make the fans and sell the merch and get people to listen to the record and really grow a brand that can release a new album every two years and people get excited about the next one. Yeah,
0: because what you guys did as the Panhandlers was so different from what you guys do as your individual acts, but it made so much sense as well. Let's do a, a couple fun questions. Um, okay. If you were to only be able to take one album with you to a deserted island and you got a record player to play the album, but you're only allowed one album, what album does Josh Abbott take to the island? And you've got your wife and kids with you, too. So it's it's just the four of you on this island and one record. Does it have to be my record? Well, if it's whatever record you take with you, I, I, I would bet you probably don't take Frozen because <laughs> that would drive yeah. you crazy. <laughs>
1: i'll answer this two different ways because i'm not sure if this i guess you're i don't know if you're you so you're not asking like which of my records
0: no 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 which record would 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 that you would love that you would take um but okay
1: oh man that's a tough question spur of the moment but probably the beatles sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club
0: Ooh, good choice that is a really um, good choice
1: I, I don't know it's hard to think off the top of my head i mean obviously <laughs> i could change my mind about a million different directions but um i always loved the theme of that album the way it, they, the way the band changed their sound a little bit the way it, um some of the sequencing in the record that really makes sense when you listen to it front to back and um, yeah, I,
0: I love that record a lot. That's one of those bands that, that wasn't afraid to evolve. And I, I can see that in, in your music, too. Were, were they a big influence on you growing up?
1: Well, it's funny, as I tell people that they were an influence on me, and people are like, how? You don't sound anything like them. And I'm like, well, <laughs> agreed. Not in the way I sound, but in the way I wanted to change our music over time. Like, I mean, you can ask my band, ever since the very beginning, I've been adamant that every single time we record a record or every two records, we need to spice it up and change it up a little bit. I don't want to make the same record nine times. Right. And so, you know, Scapegoat was obviously really rough and raw at the time. Um, she's like Texas and Small Town Family Dream obviously were a huge part of launching who we are as a band and had a really cool, very consistent sonic sound that really progressed from the previous time. Um, you know, then we hit everybody with front row seat and that was a storytelling, listen to it from front to back one through 16. You have to listen to it in this order and you follow along the story of a couple who meets and falls in love and goes the distance, but then doesn't and breaks up and has to come to terms with that. Um, and then until my voice goes out, I really wanted to spice it up. So I brought in a horn section and a string section when we hired this guy who's like one of the most world's most renowned orchestra conductors and string arrangers, um, to come in and arrange and produce strings for that record. And so I thought that was really cool because yeah. I don't think anyone, maybe i love it, but I don't think anyone else in Texas country has ever done a record with horns and strings, both. Um, and you know, that was a project record. It's probably one of our least received records, but it's one of my. I love that record. There's still songs I go back and listen to on there because those horns come in and they're just so much fun. And then I'm still, I'm just talking too much. But then when we. <laughs> Don't when we worry about catch, that. When we did Catching Fire, that little EP along with the new album, Highway Kind. You know, we kind of pretty much recorded all of that around the same time with Marshall, same producer, same studio, the whole thing, and that was really meant to again kind of take a step forward sonically and like what our band, our band's mm-hmm. going to sound like. And we tried some really cool new stuff on that album. Like I love "Settle Me Down" in the second verse when it starts, the way that little um, organ or keys—I'm not sure what effect it is—but the way. Our keys player plays that little high pitched, bouncy little note melody. Right. Um, is something super cool. It's, I mean, almost sounds like something that doesn't belong in a Texas country song. Uh, and, you know, so now I'm doing the Christmas record and it's kind of a throwback. You know, my goal with the Christmas record was to make it sound timeless. So I hope when people listen to it that it doesn't sound like a 2021 record. It just sounds like a Christmas record that they can listen to for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens moving forward, man. I'm excited to to change it up again at some point.
0: Yeah, I, I think you've you've done it. You know, every time you've come out, I, I really do. And and you just you just went through all of that. And I think that's fantastic because you can't grow as an artist if you don't change. One line that I love in the title track uh, and, and you actually have this line on your website too. Uh, it says my rear view, don't hold grudges or regrets. Mm-hmm. As you look back on, on your career uh, over the last 10 years, do you have any grudges or regrets?
1: Mm-hmm. Probably a couple, you know, I regret, I've told people this uh, for a while now, but I, I, wish when we had started our band, I wish that, it was called Lubbock and, and then that would have allowed me to launch kind of a solo career later on. But when you start a band named after you, it's kind of hard to try something different under a solo name. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if I could go back, I mean, I don't want to call that a regret though. I just, I, yeah, that's more of a, if I could do it over again, I would do it like this. I guess I don't really regret naming our band after me, but, um, <laughs> You know, but that what's funny is I didn't want to name the band after me. But the guys that were in the band at the time, one of them still is. They all liked that band name the best. We we tossed around a bunch of ideas and, you know, everyone just thought they we just thought they were all dumb. So the guys were like, <laughs> let's just go by your name. I'm like, are you sure? And um, so that's what we did. And, you know, I think there I think my biggest regret is probably the way I approached my record deal when I had one. So when small town family dream took off and touch was getting a little national radio airplay, at least big, big mainstream stations. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, they weren't pounding it, but they were playing it and we sold a bunch of copies. That's kind of right around the last few years that people actually bought records and CDs. And so, we got noticed by Atlantic records out of New York. And they're the, the same guy had discovered uh, Zach Brown band. And he was just like adamant that, that we were the next one of those. And of course that was cool to hear. So we ended up signing a record deal and they partnered with Warner in Nashville. And that kind of became our home to, to put new music out. But the problem was, it's just the whole way we approached it. Cause we signed a record deal right after three months after we released that record. Well, so it's not like we were going to go in studio and record something else. So a lot of times when bands record a rec, when sign a record deal now, it's because they've recorded something so good that the record label heard it and said, okay, we want to sign this before you put it out. And we kind of did it the other way where we put, we put it out and they were like, we love this we want to sign you. And we did. And then it was like, okay, but it's going to be two years now before we can put something out. And my manager at the time, he's a really great manager now, but at the time he was still really green on how Nashville worked and works and how to approach, you know, managing an artist with a record deal. And I was younger and cocky as hell and, um, naive probably, um, to some things. And, and we just didn't approach the record deal. Right. And there's a lot of what ifs I think about on a daily, not daily basis, but often I think like, man, if I had just approached that record deal with a little bit more hustle and respect and really played the game a little bit more and recorded some songs that the label asked me to record you know, without selling out, per se, but, right. you know, just giving them a bone here and there. Um, what does my career look like now? Because maybe maybe we're headlining amphitheaters all across the country. But, hey, man, you never know. Well, like they <laughs> say, if, never know.
0: if ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so That's a good one. I like that.
0: So I want to kind of close it out with one final question.
1: Okay, go ahead.
0: What song changed your life?
1: Oh, well, you know, career-wise, I mean, are you you talking about my song? or Are you talking about a song I heard on the radio?
0: I'm I'm thinking, what song changed your life? I mean, if you look back at your life, this is a song that changed everything for me. Whether it's a song you wrote, or or it's a song you heard, whether it's something that was recorded by, you know, maybe Pat Green sang a song, or or Towns Van Zant, or Guy Clark, or or Steve Earle. I mean,
1: I, I know most people would probably point to "She's Like Texas," but I would probably point to "Oh Tonight." I mean, doing that duet with Casey when she was literally just a girl with a pub deal out in Nashville and wasn't even sure if she was ever going to pursue the artist thing. Um, you know, I wrote that song in college, actually in grad school, I think, but I might know, I think I was still in college. I wrote that song, um, with a girl who I'm still friends with to to this day. And, and, um, when we recorded that song on that, she's like Texas record, That's the song that really took us to the next level because she's like Texas blew up and it was popular. But then when we followed it up with Oh Tonight, that's when we started getting national radio play. Right. I'll never forget the girl, um, you know, that was promoting us. Uh, She basically contacted us, I think, if I remember right. And she was like, I love this song. I'm a national radio promoter. I want to work it. Her name was Pam Newman. Do you know Pam? Yeah, I remember Pam. Um, So Pam was a big believer. So she pushed that song and all of a sudden, of course, I'm like, well, we're just a, we're just a young Texas band with no label. There's no way we're ever going to get radio play on big stations. And all of a sudden, like, you know, we're getting played in Phoenix, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Denver. I'm like, Oh, shit. <laughs> this is awesome. And I just remember it really changed my perspective on what we could be, because I think before that, I just was like, well, we're just a Texas country band and we'll probably just always play Texas and Oklahoma, right? There's no need for us to go to Florida or California. But I think, oh, tonight really changed the game because they, all of a sudden we're getting radio play in California. And so it was like, well, we better tour out there. And all of a sudden we started touring a little bit more nationwide and it kind of changed my perspective on what our band could be. It'd be like, yeah, we can be a Texas country band, but we can also record some songs here and there that compete on a national level with the mainstream stuff. Um, you know, and that's what we did. We tried to follow that up with, um, you know, with, uh, wasn't that drunk, um, which did really well for us again. Yeah. And you know, there's just been a few songs over, you know, over time that have done really well for us, a little more of you. And again, I so I think all of that dominoes back to, oh, tonight, I think like that song really was a wake up call for me on how big our band could get. And all of a sudden we started selling out Billy Bob's. I mean, that was a massive and still to this day is a massive monument. It's not easy to sell 5,000 plus tickets. Right. And, you know, selling out Billy Bob's. I just remember being like, damn, we may have some job security here, boys. <laughs> I don't feel like you sell out Billy Bob's and then your career ends. Like, I feel like we might have something here. So, yeah, that's my
0: answer. So when, when that happened, you know, and, and you wrote that song, did that also not only validate where you could go as a band, but validate you as a songwriter? Because here's this song that you wrote that is getting national airplay.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, definitely it was a nice little shot to, you know, it was a nice ego boost, um, you know, for me to to write that song. And I, I'm i sorry, I'm going to go outside real quick because my kid is screaming and I'm not sure why.
0: Oh, I can't even hear it. <laughs> oh, you couldn't? No, I can't even oh, hear that's it. That's
1: all I can hear. I'm not sure why. Uh, anyway. All right. I'm outside now. So yeah, man, I think when I wrote Oh Tonight again, I was, I didn't even think it was that great of a song. I mean, we didn't, we didn't record that on our first record, Scapegoat, because I just was like, ah, it's, it's not one of our better ones. I was wrong. And then when we went to record our She's Like Texas record, uh, our fiddle player Our longtime fiddle player he's, he's not with our band anymore But The guy who was with us For like a decade Preston He was like Dude I think we ought to record That O Tonight song And I was like Really? And he was like Yeah man It's It's always in my head It's its so good And I was like Alright And uh, Then I was like Shit Who should I get to sing it? So we started tossing around Some ideas And I was like That Casey girl That we're friends with I think she's really good you know, and we weren't in a position to go ask like some superstar to sing on our record, um, so it's just like let's just record this song with someone that we believe in, and yeah, it's pretty wild to see like, you know, that song, that story. Of course, the music video of that song is not only me and Casey, but Granger Smith and his right. wife, right? And you know, that was before. Way before Granger had a record deal and and kind of blew up, so I always laugh about that song because I'm like, you watch that music video. And When we recorded it, I was the most famous person in that video, and now I'm the third most famous, and I might be fourth. Granger's <laughs> life might be more famous than I am by now, so I just like it's kind of fun to like laugh about. Uh. And you know, um, that song went gold for us. That. Uh, we, we've had two songs go gold and that was one of them. And so, yeah, I just think that that song really, of course, long winded answer. That's what I always give. But, hey. um, I would say that that would be the one song that changed my life, but I'll, but can I give you one more? Answer? Sure. Sure. And I'll make it short on this one. Um, probably a tie actually between Pat Green's whiskey. Do you remember
0: that song? I remember that? whiskey. Yeah.
1: And then Randy Rogers bands this time around. And the reason I say that is because Pat Green's whiskey song made me want to pick up a guitar and learn it. I loved that song. And I will never forget being in a car with some of these girls that I was friends with, uh, these sorority girls. And we were headed to blue light because one of them was a massive fan of this band I'd never heard of. And on the way, and I just went because they were like, hey, do you want to go? And I was like, sure. On the way, they played me his song. They played this time around. And I was like, geez, this is awesome. Who is this? (laughs) You know, I've never heard of this band before and watched them play at the blue light that night. Sold out crowd of 300 people, which isn't a lot of people, but in a small (laughs) room, there's a really cool energy about that. And uh, I just remember it changing my life. I was like, "Okay, not only do I want to like play guitar and sing Pat Green songs, but I need to write my own songs because this is fun. Like I want to have a band and write songs and have college kids show up to our concerts. And so I really think that those two songs really changed it for me as well.
0: Uh, quick, quick story, uh, and I'll let you go from the uh, the Randy Rogers song this time around. Uh, that was on the Mercury album, and mm-hmm. I was in Corpus working mornings. No, that was on a Roller Coaster. Roller Coaster, Roller Coaster, yeah, Roller Coaster. Uh, but I was in. Uh, well, well, there was the first album from Mercury uh, that they was put out. It was called Roller Coaster, but it was on Mercury Records. And I was in Corpus when they got the uh, the roughs back for that. And they were playing Concrete Street Amphitheater. And I'd known Randy for a few years at that point. And he said, Hey man, come in the van. I want you to hear something. And he played that song for me. And I was blown away by that. That was that that was, you know, their first big big one on a major label, too. And for sure, man. Yeah. Such that was a great a big song. song.
1: Yep. Big song. And still, honestly, that's my favorite Randy Rogers record. Of course, now I sound like the fan that I was talking about earlier in the interview, where, you know, you always, you always gravitate towards an artist's first two or three albums just yeah. because you like the old stuff, you know. And that's why, again, it's so hard for a band to put out a, a record once they've been at it for 10, 15, 20 years and people to still love it. Um, and so, I mean, I love every rec- record that band has done, but, you know, Roller Coaster to me is the, probably the best Texas country album ever. It's 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 right there with Pat Green's Three Days, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I think so, too. Man, Josh, it has been a pleasure. I'll talk music with you anytime Dude, uh, anytime. I'll talk with you anytime. And thank you so much for taking time to do this. Uh, the, the new album is uh, is out and you got a Christmas album on the way. Highway Kind is out now. Maybe uh, Josh Abbott's Santa Claus or Sandy Claus or whatever you want to call it coming out. Um, and, and congratulations on, on uh, your boy, Luck, too. And, you know, we haven't got to talk since that happened because that was right after you guys had, had been here um, with the panhandle stuff. So.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. He's, uh, 15 months old now. And, um, and my daughter's, uh, almost four and a half, uh, she's in pre-K. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun time, but some days, man, make me want to pull my hair
0: out. (laughs) Well, make sure you know how to clean your gun and everything for the time she gets up to be about 16, 17, 18.
1: Oh, for sure. (laughs) No doubt about that.
0: (laughs) All right, brother. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time, man.
1: Yeah, man. Have a great day.
0: You too. If you enjoyed this episode of the Red Dirt America podcast, be sure to subscribe, follow us, and go to reddirtamerica.com to listen to past episodes. We'd love to have you join us and maybe even write a review about the Red Dirt America podcast on your favorite podcast website. We'll catch you on down the road.